Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It is the only Three Lads podcast where each and every week we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. To the community, thank you for being here once again. Of course, I am Uncle Greg. Of course, we have Brett Vargo, the... What what are we going to call you this week? What would be a good 1985-type name? Thinking like something futuristic like Max Headroom. Max... Retrum? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to chaw on this. Yeah, a little bit. Maybe, maybe yeah. we should have chawed on it before we turned on the microphone. Well, we should have. We should have. But I wasn't but, you expecting know, you to ask me what I wanted to be called. Let's just call it the Rocktologist. I really you took like me by that surprise. One. Aha! 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 <laughs> of course. Hey, what we're talking about this week is our top five songs from 1985. Pretty impossible task this week because there's a lot of great music. A lot of great songs. MTV was pretty much at its peak that at that time, at least in the U.S. I don't know what it was like in Europe, but we'll probably find out. But it was just seems like um, there's a lot of great music. It was really hard to find five, and I'm sure that next week, if I had to pick another my top five songs of '85, it might be different. But that's how I pick my songs, just the ones that I still listen to this day. And before we get started, Greg, so we already did back in episode 24. We did our top five albums of 1985. Shall we run over those? Sure, let's do it. So I had Ignite the Seven Cannons by Felt, Purity by The Essence, What Does Anything Mean Basically by The Chameleons, Tim by The Replacements, and Psycho Candy by Jesus and Mary Chain, which, you know, I mean, darn me being so stubborn because Just Like Honey would probably be my number one otherwise. Greg, you had 
drama rama cinema verite abc how to be a zillionaire awesome uh this is big audio dynamite Mm -hmm. nighttime big killing joke and low life by new order and then our uh, erstwhile co-host bueno double palmered that week and had robert palmer riptide this is big audio dynamite as well power station bleh howard jones dream into action i'm sorry did i say that yeah and simple minds once upon a time (laughs) (laughs) i did listen to that episode and yeah that's okay that the, the guy that chose those isn't on the podcast anymore. That's your decision, but um, just, you know. Well. <laughs> it, was, it was his <laughs> okay. decision. Okay. We love him all the same. Yeah, he's still our friend. We still hang out and have a good time. Robert Palmer being, that's a wide, that's a broad liberal definition of alternative, isn't it? Sometimes we have a broad liberal definition of alternative. You are liberal in, uh, in the, you know, you have a broad kind of church approach to your categories, which is, is good. That's all right. Absolutely. Some, sometimes we don't even know what it means. <laughs> but I feel like in, in a lot of ways, 1985 was kind of the start of the, you know, the big 80s as we knew them with that increasing reliance on synthetic sounds, big booming snares, and that kind of style over substance approach that, you know, if you look good on MTV or Top of the Pops, you could sell boatloads of records. But if you dig a little bit deeper underground, 1985 was actually really great for bands that went against the prevailing trends. I want to get into kind of that dichotomy here in just a moment, but first of all, I'm going to go ahead, Greg, and go first this week, because I'm going to divulge my number five as a means of introduction to today's guests, if that's all right with you. Oh, gosh. Let's, hit, let's, let's light that candle. I'm ready. Let's light that candle. So would you believe it if I told you that some of the finest records of 1967 were actually from 1985? Well, all right, that's not true, of course. But in 1985, the Dentists, a young band from the Medway District in England, were making their initial splash with a harmony-laden sound indebted to 60s psych pop, garage, and jangly folk rock. And how's this for a prolific year? They released their debut single, Strawberries Are Growing In My Garden, and it's wintertime. The World Cup referencing brilliantly titled full-length album, and I feel like I need to get into World Cup voice to do this, but I won't for uh, fear of embarrassment. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. It is now. And the six-track EP, You and Your Bloody Orange, is another great title, all in that year, 1985. And even better is that you can't go wrong with a single bit of it. In fact, I have serious regrets not pulling Some People Are on the Pitch for my top five albums in 1985. But that allows me to pick as my number five this week, The Dentist's first single, Strawberries Are Growing in My Garden, which is a psychedelic confection so groovy that it would sit very comfortably among any of the great records from the bygone summer of love. Featuring chiming guitars, soaring harmonies, and a freak-out coda, nobody's going to bat an eye if you let it slip into a Nuggets playlist. It's essential listening, but the same could really be said for anything that they released that year, including gems like I Had an Excellent Dream, I love that one, Everything in the Garden, Flowers Around Me, I Can See Your House From Up Here, just consistently brilliant stuff. The band in that era consisted of lead singer Mick Murphy, guitarist Bob Collins, bassist Mark Matthews, and drummer Ian Smith. 
Over the course of the next decade, the dentist would employ a couple of other drummers, the late Alan Jones and Rob Gregg, and release four additional studio albums and a whole bunch of singles, EPs, and compilations. So just talking about my own discovery of the dentist music, I give credit to somebody who I never even met, which was my brother Brian's short-term 90s girlfriend, Alex. So I never met this mysterious Alex, but she used to make him these really cool mixtapes that he'd play in his car for us all the time. And there was a bunch of flying nun bands that I got introduced to, a bunch of great UK indie bands. So I digress. Today, we are very fortunate to have joining us as our third lads from the dentist, Bob Collins and Mark Matthews. It's lovely to be here, yeah. Hi. Thank you very much. Yeah. And what an introduction. <laughs> Couldn't have written that introduction better myself. And we talked about the power station, which even though I loved the individual pieces of that band, I can't stand the power station. Okay. So <laughs> I was recently engaged in a, in a Twitter conversation about the song, Some Like It Hot. The comment was, Some Like It Hot sounded unbelievably dated, like it could only be from 1985. Yes, that's absolutely true. That song could have been made in no other year than 1985. But then I also started thinking, well, I mean, shouldn't it sound like it was made in 1985? It was, right? So I guess my question is, you know, in 1985, you were releasing music that sounded like it was beamed from another time. So was that a conscious reaction to not wanting to sound like typical 1985? As far as I'm concerned, 100%. Um, <laughs> and to understand why, you have to understand that we were from the Midway Towns. And when we were 17, 16, 17, we started going to see the milkshakes and the prisoners. We were 20 and 85, both of us. And we'd been through like the punk, a bit too young for original punk, but post-punk, new wave, loved all of that. Um, but yeah, around about 1982, for, at least for me, that's when things started to go a bit wrong um, and everything was getting very professional and slick. And even the bands that were a bit edgy were saying, oh, no, we've, we've had it with the uh, punk days. Let, let's kind of get more, uh, you know, we need to get a bit more, sound a bit more professional and, and sophisticated. And of course, for us, our age, well, no, no, we, we want to be edgy and, you know, um, raw now, you know, we, never mind you, but, you know, so, so then, you know, we went to see the Milkshakes and the Prisoners at the MIC, which is the, the famous local venue, uh, if you're into that kind of music, that the kind of birth, that kind of sound. And there yes. was like bands that were just like stomping it out. And that had, you know, never mind what their, you know, the Milkshakes were obviously very kind of 50s, 60s influence, but that was almost beside the point. They were just a raw band with like small amps, small guitars, but really just stomping their way through it and just giving everything that, you know, we thought that's what we want to do. That's what kind of music should sound like. It was like nothing else at the time. There was literally nothing like that that we knew of. We At the time, we didn't appreciate how different it was, but it was really unique. And then I suppose they kind of schooled us in a way in terms of like, you know, why don't drums sound like proper drums anymore? Yeah. So we were very much, we didn't go in for the whole aesthetic of everything they were doing, but, um, and, and, for me personally, after about 82, I just kind of stopped paying attention to kind of contemporary music because I just went 
on a back voyage of discovery to all this obscure and not so obscure kind of 60s stuff. So it was really interesting doing this year, 1985, because that was probably my my lowest ebb of like not really being interested in much that was going on uh, contemporary. I got back into it like about 86, 87 when like you had the wedding present and the Pixies and My Bloody Valentine and whoever else in started getting a bit of interest back. But yeah, it, that, I mean, we absolutely despised that big 80s drum sound. And yeah, we the one thing we were absolutely certain of is we wanted nothing to do with that. We wanted just to sound like, it wasn't even that we were trying to create a particularly retro sound. We just wanted to sound like a band in a room, which <laughs> doesn't sound like anything revolutionary. And in later years, people kind of came round to that again, but at the time it was like, no one sounded like that. Mission accomplished and going back to bands like the Milkshakes and the Prisoners, I mean, that had to be an exciting scene to kind of come up in. Billy Childish, one thing's for certain, I mean, you, you can't ever accuse him of, of straying far from his vision. He knows who he is, and, you know, hundred some odd albums yeah. later, he's still who he is. I never saw the Milkshakes live. I mean, they never came over here, but I always imagined it to be something similar to, like, seeing the Beatles in Hamburg. Yeah, I, th I think I think that's fair. Yeah, I was going to say, see, seeing the milkshakes uh, yeah. in Medway at that time was definitely, you know, was our free trade hall, really, I think, in, you know, Manchester free trade hall with the Sex Pistols type thing. Suddenly all the lights came on, you know, this this is what music really should sound like. And Billy's influence over Medway, even now, is, is still, you know, pretty powerful. But at the time, j just to watch Billy with a, a, a crappy guitar and a terrible amplifier just absolutely hammer out tunes um, that you know would just make your, the, you know the hairs on your back of your neck stand up. It was it was incredible, and it really was you know well God if they can do it then then we need to get involved and we need to do it and we need to pick up a guitar and we need to play because you know Billy made it I don't know effortless but he certainly made it achievable, and I think that that's his legacy for the entire Medway scene. Yeah. And he, I mean you know he's influenced the White Stripes and various other bands, so his legacy is is huge. And as far as the ethos is concerned, I mean, it's what punks set out to do, right? It, yeah. So when all the you know first generation punks were getting too serious and caught up in themselves, I mean, there was still you know these beacons that could say, yeah, I mean, we can do this. We can just get a, yeah some cheap guitars and amps and just bash out music. I think that's powerful. I think every generation needs that. Yeah, Bob, Bob spot on. We were slightly too young for punk, you know, for 76, 77. We kind of missed the clash and all of those things. So we were coming in on the Echo and the Bunny Men, Teardrop Explodes, Joy Division. They, they were kind of our kind of gods, I, I guess. And then Billy yeah. came along and we were going to gigs when we were old enough. And we, we were then like, okay, well, the teardrops are splitting up. The Bunny Men are starting to kind of let us down a little bit. Joy Division, unfortunately, you know, obviously Curtis uh, uh, left us, unfortunately. And, you know, we were thinking, where do we go next? And then and Billy came along and we took, you know, Billy's kind of, you know, learn three chords and form a band type ethos um, and mar tried to marry it with, with Bunny Men, Teardrops and influences from the 60s. And we put all those together and, and it came out like the dentist, hopefully. I mean, whether that was conscious or subconscious, I don't know, but th that was kind of how it, how it went. Oh, 
how the best music should i mean in the end it yeah. comes out with your distinct sonic identity yeah you have to be authentic not necessarily original but you just have to be authentic you had a few eps then in the subsequent years but i think it was about five years later that you actually had another hmm. album proper with heads and how to read them i think that's a another fabulous record one of my favorites from that one is in the ocean oh, wow. which is still psychedelic but it's still yeah. modern at the same time and then there's something like Beautiful Day, which is very clean and acoustic and, dare I say, a little jaunty. Was there a particular turning point in that five-year period where you could kind of sense your music changing a bit? Well, that's a good question. I think definitely. As you said, we had three drummers in our lifetime. And whereas a lot of bands, the drummer is just the drummer and... But in our band, the drummer was such a whole part of the band in all three cases. We kind of sounded like different bands in all three. Alan replaced Ian in 86. And as I was saying before, that was probably when there was kind of more contemporary stuff that, that was a little bit in our, in our vein. So a lot of the kind of indie stuff, the sort of C86 and post C86 kind of stuff, like the wedding present and whoever else. So there's probably, we probably started to sound a bit more like that than just, we weren't quite as 60s absorbed as we were. And and in the first era of the band, Ian was, was real, like me, was very, very kind of into like the 60s love, the you know, kinks and everything. Um, so I think partly because of what we were listening to, what was around at the time, and also Alan was a very different drummer. Alan was much more kind of straight ahead. Um, he styled himself on Peter Freitas, uh, whereas Ian was more like Keith Moon. So yeah, it, it, I think it changed because of that. But you know, we like you say, there's lots of different stuff on that album. Like in the ocean, I just that was a song weirdly that started out with just one of those songs that starts out with one person playing a riff. In this case, me, and everyone starts joining in. What was that? You know, I don't know. Um, but that was our. That was almost. That was the nearest we got to to Baggy, wasn't it, Mark? Yeah. That was our, our attempt at Baggy. <laughs> so, and it was all right, but, you know, just... That's as close as we got. Yeah, just leave it at the one song. We had some flowery T-shirts, that was about it, though. <laughs> got a great groove and beautiful day was a weird one because that was a song that we'd we tried in different formats and we were just sitting there playing it in the in a um in a studio acoustically we weren't even planning to record it for the album the producer said why 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 aren't we doing that <laughs> this is a brilliant song so we we, we played it that become a that became a single in uh, uh got a, became a, a radio hit in belgium apparently <laughs> the netherlands big in belgium which is a good place to be big to feel but you've fallen in love with the sound of gain you could be king of this town if you had a brain want to tell you how tell you how to be king again on such a beautiful beautiful day beautiful in the u.s you released a couple of of albums in the early 90s yeah. on homestead records and the reason why this kind of 
piqued my attention was uh, we had another guest, Bill Goffrier from Big Dipper, and they were also on Homestead. And Homestead, I know, had a really good artist roster. I mean, they released a lot of stuff here in the U.S., thankfully, from you know New Zealand bands and Australian bands and stuff. But they're also notorious for yeah. their lack of label support, you know, skipping payments on bands. How was your experience? <laughs> Our experience was, we, well, we, it was fine for a while because there was a great guy working there called Ken Katkin. It was owned by this character. I think I'm okay to call him a shady character. We never met him, called Barry Tenenbaum or something. And Ken was basically a one-man manager of the label, and he was brilliant. He was a fan. He was trying to do all the right things. Um, and he signed us, and the compilation album Dressed came out. Uh, but then Ken left the label. I think he's all right with me saying this. I think he was sacked. I think he said this on Facebook because he just fell out and... And then it kind of, yeah, they, they promised us, they you know, money to go on tour and um, uh, to back us and to release another album. And we were getting interest from other labels like East West we signed to. But um, yeah, we had to cancel a tour because they pulled out their support, uh, financial support at the last minute. So I think, I think we did get paid for what we did, but um, yeah, we can't, and we were only on it, the label for about a year. And the Powdered Lobster fiasco was the second album that came out on Homestead. And, th and that was just, we kind of used up some stuff we had or some songs we weren't going to use. It's still a good album. We didn't have as bad an experience as other bands did, I think. And I, I only read this, this, there was an article I read recently online, and it's, it's from a few years ago, but... When I read it, I thought, ah, oh. so it wasn't just us then. And then I, when I read that, I felt, I felt a little bit guilty about just kind of jumping ship and going, signing with a, you know, another label. And I thought, no, actually, no, fuck. <laughs> we did the right thing. We did the right thing, you know. But on the other hand, so that same album, Powder Lobster Fiasco, in the UK, right, that was released on, this time for me to be a nerd, I'm sorry. Yeah. Ed Ball's creation imprint. Ed Ball is like one of my heroes. I mean, Times, TVPs, t teenage film stars. I mean, I love it all. Conversely, how is that experience? My understanding of what happened at the time, and, th and this may or may not be true, but this is what we were told by our, our manager, our, our good manager, Pat Marr at the time. Li literally a week after we signed to East West, so we agreed a, a deal with East West um, for the next, I think it was meant to be eight albums or something. Literally a week after creation, got in touch and said, we'd like to sign the dentists. And Pat said to Creation, well, unfortunately, we signed with East West a week ago. So Creation said to them, well, is there anything we can put out that isn't under the agreement with East West? And we said, well, you know, you could put the, the Powdered Lobster fiasco out as an album. And, and Ball Products, obviously, was affiliated heavily with Creation. So um, my understanding is Alan McGee said, well, we, we're not going to put it out as a Creation band because we can't sign them, but we'd like to put it out on Ball Products. So we didn't know, we didn't know Ed at all. It was just a, just a way of releasing something, you know, under, under the sort of Creation banner, if you like, in the UK. Yeah, to this day, I regret obviously not signing to Creation. And, and the story goes, I'm pretty sure that almost, you know, maybe a few months after that, they then signed Oasis. So um, I think they signed a band called 18 Wheeler, 
just after they tried to sign us and then and then oasis so it's one of those points in the dentist's history of you know what might have been kind of thing but but never was so who knows uh i might be liam and, and bob might be Noel. who knows it, it just never it, it never happened or the other way around yeah. who knows i could be bo- i could be bonehead who's bonehead though? <laughs> oh god i would be bonehead wouldn't i, I don't know <laughs> Well, there, there'd be a lot of trouble counting all that money and then yeah, think of all, you know, like all your dreams oh, coming no. true and yeah, all that we, kind we'd of have stuff. flown over for this chat, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or we'd have flown you over, maybe. The drugs, yeah. yeah. The drugs, everything, you know. Now you read stuff about what was going on at creation records offices at that time and you think, oh, maybe, maybe not yeah. after all. You, know. yeah. you want to sit on a wall and play a guitar and act yeah. all snotty. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Cool. And it's amazing to think back to that time in the 90s which was probably really the last time when major labels were taking mm. a chance on bands like the dentists right that and i don't mean this in fact this is a positive that aren't yeah. gunning for the top 40. when you signed with them and by the way if if you signed an eight album deal you still owe them a few albums <laughs> yeah by the way <laughs> did they try to mold you into the next superstars or they they pretty much just left you alone yeah initially they left us alone i think bob didn't they i mean the the thing that about signing to a major label which obviously we were nervous at the time and we were a very small fish in a very big pond but the thing that we were encouraged by was the the, the lady that got us signed um Lisa, a lady called Lisa Barbarese. Um, she was very, very enthusiastic. And, and our advice was that if you had somebody within the organisation who supported you and was very enthusiastic about you, then, then it was going to be okay because they would champion you, you know, and you'd get the tour support, you'd get, you know, everything you needed. Unfortunately, Lisa then left quite soon after after a signing to East West. She actually went to work for, for Simply Red, believe it or not, for Mick Hucknall. Uh, as a kind of personal assistant so once we lost Lisa then we were like a little bit floundering I think Bob I don't know if that's your recollection of of how it kind of went down I was very surprised at how little they tried to I mean they literally didn't have anything to say they they kind of we we recorded the album yeah behind the door I keep the universe in London the A&R guy flew out once I think came to the studio, listened to a bit, and went, yeah, "Sounds great," and that was literally that only comment on the whole process. Yeah, I, I think for me, I think so. We were signed in late '92, and I, my, I think that was the time in majors. So, never mind. Had obviously gone worldwide, took everyone by surprise, and I think you were still in that period where the majors had no idea what was going on or what was going to be the next big thing. So. There were a lot of bands signed to majors in that period, and we were one of them. And I guess they thought, well, we have no idea how to mould people into being popular because we've no idea for blowing the whole thing. We don't know. So that may be why they just thought we have to just sign bands and maybe one of them will randomly get big and, and we'll, be, we'll be fine. So obviously that, <laughs> that turned out not to be us, but um, it was strange. And yeah, we never got, I'd say, a big push from them. But they didn't have a vision for us, it's true to say. No. They, they were looking for the next Blur and the next Oasis, so that, that's what they were hunting for, and, and that, wasn't, that was never going to be the dentist. It was never us. But I'm sure that's what they were looking for. I'm not, I think it was a bit before that, though. I mean, we signed in 92, so that was a bit... 
Yeah. So, but they were hunting. Britpop was on its way, and they could see it coming, but they couldn't identify. Yeah. They knew they needed something, and they needed oh, okay. they need you know needed to be in the game, but they didn't know what it was they were going for. So they were looking for the bands that were doing well on college radio in the states, which is where we got we got That's picked true. up, and we were doing yeah. well on college radio. Uh, and then they didn't know what to do with us, I think. And and Lisa departing yeah. was the kind of nail in the coffin. I I yeah. thought that's that's my take on it. It might have been, and also like the bandwagon esque had just taken off, probably simultaneously with Nevermind. So they maybe thought, ah, oh, another Finnish fan club, that kind of thing. Brit, you know, they again, yeah. they probably thought well, a lot of Anglophiles now. Ang- Brit, they they probably did think, yeah, British bands can can make it after all. Yeah. So your last album, Deep Six, I mean, that's one that I have a particular fondness for because it was my very first dentist album. Nineteen ninety five sounded great. It should have done better. Obviously, that was your last album. I think, Bob, you left the band shortly after. What was the unraveling point? <laughs> For me, it was, I think we thought, um, the one thing we did think would happen by signing to a major label, even if they didn't particularly push it, was just, we always thought, well, we, we would be very popular if only more people knew about our stuff. So we thought just the exposure you'd get on a major and the play you'd get, we would, we would just automatically kind of you know, get a bit more successful and maybe even be able to kind of give up our jobs. That, that was another thing we thought, oh, at one point in our life, we thought, oh, signing to a major, that's when you can give up your jobs. No, 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 no. <laughs> there wasn't that much. No, there wasn't any money. There wasn't any money. That doesn't happen. The first album, Behind the Door, we've got loads of really, really, really good press, got loads of really good college radio, but didn't really sell. Deep Six didn't even get as much press or radio and it was it wasn't as well received and it was like and then that didn't take off and we thought oh i just thought 10 years we've given it our best shot we're on two albums on a major label we still haven't kind of been taken up by you know the great british or american public that's probably it (laughs) and you can't do things forever We are still doing some things. I'm sure you know we're, uh, well, it's Mark's band really, but The Treasures of Mexico just recorded our third album cool. coming out on Spin Out Nuggets. And you were mentioning uh, that you are doing some acoustic gigs or an acoustic gig. Yes. I, I mentioned this, Mark, while you were finding mm. uh, your connection. Yeah, we're, we're, gonna, we're going through proof of concept, aren't we, Bob? Yeah, so we're, <laughs> we're in, in two weeks, uh, well, depending on when people listen to this, there's no, don't give dates, but... On the 18th of February, we're doing a, it was a little uh, afternoon gig. It's, it's a few acts playing. We're just doing a half an hour. Me and Mark are going to try and do some uh, acoustic dentist songs, um, which we've never done before in that, quite in that format. So if it works, it works. We're, me and, neither me and Mark, obviously, were the singer in, in the dentist. So and we are both, let's say, of more limited vocal range than Mick Murphy. So Good way of putting it, Bob, yeah. Yeah, we have to pick our songs carefully. But yeah, it's just something we, it, it works. We might do it again. All right. So unless I missed it at some point, the dentist seemed like the perfect candidate for one of those lovely cherry red complete box sets. Mm. Although I know you're on a lot of labels, yeah. which licensing might be tough. Yeah. Do you see a possibility of something like that ever happening? We have been talking about it, about kind of, yeah, getting some 
retrospective collection together exactly in what format or formats or with whom TBC but yeah that's something we have been thinking about a little more kind of um, getting a bit little more thought to it in the, the the recent past so yeah maybe this year we'll get our, get ourselves together and, and get something like that done Bob and Mark I just want to ask you guys you know like you know going back when the band first started to now how was your friendship started how is it you know grown stronger did you were you guys like brothers and one time you know threw punches let's get to the good stuff man let's <laughs> let's get to the emotional all, all, all stuff. Of those things <laughs> yeah i mean because yeah, yeah, i yeah. mean because look you guys have been together and making music and that's a big part of an emotional being and you guys are still doing it together so obviously there's yeah. something there yeah me and mark met at secondary school which is like yeah. high school so age 11 both picked up the bass um at the same time there was a few other boys in the school picked up guitars when they were about like we were about 15 so that's when we started playing together yeah and obviously the dentists we didn't play again together we did some stuff together in the early 2000s which the, the name of the band was the great lions we didn't release anything but we did go to south by southwest in 25 no 2005 um and played 2005 yeah yeah, so and we've both played with other bands and, and done done different things. Then Mark, uh, we started off with Mark's band, The Treasures of Mexico, sort of played a bit of guitar, asked me to play a bit of guitar, and, and they did two albums, and then we started playing live and got a band. So then now we're actually in a band together properly for the first time. So yeah, we've, we've never not been in touch. Um, other members of the dentists have... We've never actually had a fist fight, I don't think, Bob. Have we? We've certainly <laughs> shouted at each other over the years, but no, I don't no, think we've ever no. had a, a punch up. Um, no, no, but it's a no. bit like we're, we're kind of into sort of old married couple territory now, in as yeah. much as, you know, it doesn't really matter what Bob says or does. I'm just like, well, that's just Bob. I'll just let it go. I, I, he, he has to try really hard <laughs> to upset me about anything. And in terms of music, he, he's, I mean, he is a bit of a musical genius. Um, so I'm, I'm quite happy. I'm definitely not a musical genius by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm quite happy to have Bob in the room at any point in time because he will, he will steer us in the right direction musically. So, um, yeah, I, I can, I can tolerate his other foibles. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus Two Modest Mike is a great songwriter and a great arranger and a great uh, lyricist. So there you go. We're gonna <laughs> blow smoke up each other's asses. And <laughs> I know. Look at that. You guys are so nice. Radio. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I love you, Bob. <laughs> well, oh, <laughs> and I love you, Greg. <laughs> Brad. Yeah, obviously, Greg. You're the Brett, cherry yeah. on top of my ice cream. All right, enough creepiness. Um, <laughs> real quick, like, uh, can you both give me the best and worst about being in the dentist throughout the years? The best thing and then the worst thing. It's just your subjective thought. Well, the worst thing is always when we were doing when we were touring is being stuck in the van for like eighteen hours with with the rest of them was just the worst thing. That was undoubtedly the worst thing. And and the best thing for me would be one of them coming, you know, one of us coming with a new song and and working it out. I mean, that sounds a bit cheesy, but there's nothing like um, you know working out a new song and realizing that it's it's something really good and you want to take it forward that that's that's kind of the best thing i think about it that's weird because i was gonna say put touring as the best thing (laughs) (laughs) but not the van journeys our world record is 29 hours isn't it bob 29 hours from edmonton to minneapolis 24 edmonton to minneapolis yeah, we were in Edmonton and we, we left the gig, at straight packed up the van, left at midnight, arrived at Minneapolis yeah. midnight the following day. And no, actually, the worst thing about touring is 
the gap between sound check and gig because you're just stuck there with nothing to do unless you're going out to eat. The best thing about touring is just when you get somewhere and after you've done that terrible journey, you get on stage. This didn't always happen, but there's lots of people there and they really love you. And then you kind of, we never toured often enough for it to get just routine. So when we toured after the gig, we liked to have a good time and talk to people and party. And just the people you meet doing that and and the places you go that that that's kind of for me so that's my best bit i think the worst bit is probably just the periods where you're not doing anything we had a big spell in the middle of our career career um which is for about two or three years where we didn't release anything and we were thinking we wanted to look for another label or look for a label and, and we got signed but then it just took them ages to figure out what to do with us. And it's just when you've got all these songs, as Mark says, and you, you think, well, when are we going to release something? When are we going to do something? It's just, it's, it's those gaps, I think, when you're kind of champing at the bit and you want to get going, but you can't because, you know, you're waiting for something to happen or you can't get a record out because, you know, whatever. Well, 29 hours in the van without punching each other, that's a miracle. So we didn't say we didn't punch each other. Just not each other. We had a we had a Game Boy. Do you remember that, Bob? We had a Game Boy. We no, had one, the very, one of the very first Game Boy, but we only had one, so we used to fight <laughs> over who would have the Game Boy. One one thing we did on those long journeys. So this was on the. So we did. We only did one like big tour of the US and Canada, and that was supporting Shonen Knife, and that was six weeks. And we had some great times on that tour, but yeah, the journeys were long. And but one thing we did to keep us occupied for about, it took about like 5% of the time, was we did charts. And I've still got the spreadsheets somewhere. So <laughs> we would give all the all the towns marks out of 10. So we'd have categories of like venue, PA, audience, hotel, meal, and post gig action, which- Aha, milk and cookies. Like I was saying, once you, once you finish a gig, you like to have a good time. So it's basically, did you have a good time after the gig? And we did we did marks out of 10 for each town and each venue. And we did that each week. And we compiled these these charts at the end of the tour for our own amusement. Best and worst town? Uh, the worst gig. Detroit. Say, <laughs> no. Detroit was the worst. Detroit is horrible. Honestly, Detroit is just the pits. Yeah. Do you remember what the worst audience was, Mark? No, I don't. I'm going to offend uh, not many people because it's not a big place. Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> no, oh, we yeah. offend them all the time. <laughs> we could do an hour's podcast just on our charts. Maybe we will. We'll, we'll probably have to do that ourselves rather than be a guest no, on someone else's. Perfect. All right, biggest tours. But, Which yeah. town? Quick. Sorry, biggest best town. Biggest tours. My favorite was Boulder, Colorado. Boulder. Yeah. He said best whores. We're just Boulder, Colorado. Oh, Greg. <laughs> Minneapolis for whores, Greg. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Mark and I. That's <laughs> see, Bob is reserved. He's. <laughs> it really is erotic city. <laughs> yeah. Prince was right. Yeah, oh. Minneapolis was was fantastic. <laughs> that was the coldest. So I'm told. Yes. Minneapolis was the coldest, coldest place. Oh, yeah. You don't coldest, partake in such tomfoolery, I'm sure. Definitely not. It was the drummer and the singer. <laughs> so, so let's look at some song titles here. Strawberries are growing in my garden. Everything in the garden. Flowers around me. She dazzled me with basil. Daffodil scare. Snapdragon. What is the symbolic importance 
of the garden to the dentist? And do you have any gardening tips for us? Oh, that's a great question as well. Uh, I hadn't noticed that until you just spelt that out. So that's interesting. <laughs> sh- 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 shall I shall I tell you what I think it is? So Mick, so the th- Mick, uh, so basically the three of us, the three, me, Mark and Ian were together for about a year and a half. And, and then Mick joined. And when Mick joined, we became the dentist. But Mick came and we, we, we see the thing about dentists, we're all into slightly different musical things. We're kind of close enough that it makes sense, but we all have our own little take. So Mick was in a band before and they were a little bit more kind of punky, a little bit more gothy. And at that time, Mick would come in and, you know, deliver a song and he would go, right, I got a new song, and this how it goes. And he would just, he didn't really write proper lyrics. He would just mouth things um, as he went along. But he had this weird thing of all his songs were about death, glory, war. And we thought that's that's not really appropriate for our aesthetic, you know. So so that's what we used to do because Mick didn't write proper lyrics anyway. We used to we just used to change them uh, to something <laughs> a bit more amenable to our our style. So for example, you know the song it's on the B side of Strawberries, Doreen. Yep. Do you know what that was called first when Mick came? It got a new song, Glory, 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 Glory. So we thought, nah. But Dory, what, what sounds a bit like, so we wanted to keep the feel of it. What sound, what, they think a girl's name sounds a bit like Glory, Doreen, there you go. So a lot of it was, a lot of it was like that, so. You're avoiding, you're avoiding all the gardening references, Bob, all the horticulture, which we didn't, we didn't realise at the time. Everything in the garden. Yeah, I can't remember how that one, why that one was. And what was the other one? Daffodil. Yeah. Daff- I think Flowers around right. me. Daffodil Scare wasn't written by us, was it? The, the lyrics. No, of course. That Daffodil Scare. Daffodil Scare was written by a friend of ours. Was written oh, okay. by our friend called Viv, who now plays in the Galileo Seven and is married to Alan Crockford. Um, the but she wrote, she wrote the words to Daffodil Scare. Daffodil Scare, yeah. All right. So, yeah. so no tips on like topsoil or anything like that. Um, I don't no, think so. I, no, no. I'm the worst gardener. Worst, <laughs> as, as in I do not do it. Yeah, I moved into my house and immediately put astroturf in the garden instead of grass. So. That's uh, perfect. That's my gardening tip: is, is don't get involved in grass, <laughs> kids. All right, and do you enjoy going to the dentist? No, I hate it. That's one of the reasons the band's called the dentist, in my views, because myself, uh, I really, really don't like it. <laughs> Almost a phobia. I, I don't. I don't really like. It. I haven't been for several years. <laughs> I was on the once every thirty-five year plan, but I, I yeah. had to. Uh, had That'd to cure myself way. of that last year. Yeah, that's a, a bit like that. All right, so you want to get into lists? I think, yeah. Well, what, what was your number five again? Just so that- So I did, uh, as my number five, by the dentist, strawberries are growing in my garden and in parenthetical remarks, and it's winter time. The brackets were important to us. We, we like songs with brackets, so- uh... Yes, I enjoy good brackets. Who wants to go next? Number five, Bob or Mark? Bob? Who do you want, you want to go to first, Bob? So me and Bob don't know, we don't know each other's top fives. Yeah, me and Mark have not uh, colluded. We haven't uh, compared notes. We have, don't know what each other's top five is, although I have written down what I think Mark's top five will be. Um, <laughs> and we think we've, we've said enough to warrant um, that we, we think we might have one song in common. Probably no more than that. So as I said before, I wasn't paying much attention to music in 1985, contemporary music. So in my top five, there are two songs that I didn't know existed in 1985. I've kind of come to know them in more recent years. 
and my number five is one of them and it's the pale fountains and jeans not happening right. which is just a killer pop song i did know about the pale fountains i probably heard of some of their earlier stuff this is a bit of a common theme bands i knew but had stopped paying attention to but that song is just fabulous and the guitar riff that opens it up is out of this world it's just a a a, a, a killer killer song and that I would have probably loved it had I had I known it at the time. I might have criticised the drum sound because that's what I did in 1985. But yeah, that's uh, it's just a great pounding, great pop song. Writing it down, Bob. If it's good, I don't know it. Okay, you don't know it. No. Mick Head is a genius. Mick Head, yeah. And I, I'm assuming that you've listened to Dear Scott, his latest album. I have not. Mick Head is one of these people that lots of people I know really love him. And when I say love him, I really love him. And they love Shaq. And I, I really haven't delved in. And I've listened to a couple of things and thought that's all right. But it's just you know. It's one of those things you can't you can't listen to everything. So, sure. yeah. and what I have heard, I've gone, yeah, it's okay, but I haven't really I haven't really kind of delved in um, long enough to, to love it. But maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I will. Dear Scott is quite remarkable. And then yeah, some of the earlier uh, Shack stuff, Water Pistols, a great album, HMS Fables. So definitely a lot there to admire mm. and catch up on. Yeah. Hey, great pick, Mark. How about you? <laughs> Yeah, so I limited myself. I was just showing off to Bob earlier, but so I limited myself to any songs that I actually own on on vinyl. So I I, I own all of these songs because I could have gone off at a bit of a tangent like Bob has. So I'm I'm already unhappy with the way Bob's approaching this. <laughs> oh, there's going to be a punch yeah, up okay. happening. Here, here we go. This is my number five. So I know this is uh, audio, obviously, but I'm holding up a copy of The Doctor's Children, and the single is called Tomorrow I'll Die. And this is probably the most obscure indie band. I don't, if you guys have heard of them, I'll be impressed. But nope. the Doctor's Children, they uh, released a few singles and an album. I think the album's called something like King Buffalo, but I've never been able to track the album down. But Tomorrow I Die is a, it's just a great pop song. And I, I met the, the singer once. He came into uh, an office I was working at and we had a bit of a chat. He was a really nice guy. But they were completely, completely overlooked and underrated. You just can't find any references to them. Um, occasionally you'll, you'll, you'll really find something obscure on the internet but it's quite hard to find but yeah so it's Tomorrow I'll Die by the Doctor's Children and it's got one of the great choruses of 1985 in my opinion just a fantastic record and i urge people to check them out you can find it on youtube so yeah go hunting homework love it cannot wait yeah cannot wait now question for bob was that one of your guesses it was not it wow. was not the only i only know i've got a record by the doctor's children it's a 12 inch i think it was in the following year rose cottage rose cottage yes yeah, and i think i bought that because you had it on a compilation tape that you used to play uh, and that's a great, yeah. great song. Yeah, but like you, I've, I've, I've looked them up and thought they were 
maybe even less well known than us, if that's possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. After 40 years, you're still surprising each other. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I agree. All right. Well, number five for me, like you guys, um, you might have some more obscure stuff. Bob, I was very into the contemporary music of 1985. MTV ruled my world. Unfortunately, back in 1985, well, maybe fortunately, your screens did not track the time, uh, the amount of time that you would watch those screens because I watched a lot of MTV. So a lot of my bands and songs that I'm going to pick for this list are songs that I still listen to today when I'm driving to work. I want a, a pep talk to myself. I want to feel happier. I will put on these songs still to this day. So kicking off my list of the top five songs of 1985 is from a band that had a huge year in 85. Um, you know, they brought us that Retroscope video. I think some of you may already know what I'm talking about, but this song was number five. Uh, it was in the top five in Germany, Sweden, the Netherlands, Norway. Aha. And, re- and for Aha. Aha. Uh, yeah. So, of course, Aha, they had a huge year. Everyone <laughs> thinks I'm going to pick, uh, you know, their huge song, uh, Take On Me. But we've heard that song four billion times. It is a great song. The video was awesome. But really, the song that shines for me from them is uh, it, The Sun Always Shines on TV. That is the song that I really enjoy from that band. And uh, I had to get it on my list. And I think that if you haven't heard that song in a while, you should give it another ride because it's a great song. And to think that they were all in the flu. They had the flu when they recorded that is what I was reading. So, oh, really? uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's a, a, a trick. Have the flu, uh, have cots in, the, uh, in, in your recording studio so that when you have to get up and sing, you really push it out and you make a banger. Yeah. Like the sun always shines on TV. So that's my number five. We'll keep that in mind. That's a great song and actually from 1985, unlike Take On Me. So... Good. Well, Take On Me came out on the same album, so was, was that released in 84? As a single. Yeah, yeah. there you go. They see, got to keep me in line. Perfect. Uh, so for my number four, I guess I'm not ready to leave the 60s quite yet because I'm going to go with a slice of Scorching Garage Punk that sounds like it could have been released in 1966, but again, we're back to the future in 1985. So it comes from one of Australia's finest garage and power pop bands, The Stems. So this combo, led by Dom Mariani, released two classic singles in 1985. First, there was the double A side, She's a Monster and Make You Mine, which would actually become the second biggest selling Aussie indie single that year after Hoodoo Guru's Like Wild Wipeout. And it's a great one, but it's actually their second single, Tears Me In Two, that's the one that really gets me going. It's perfect in its 60s authenticism. The fuzz guitar riff, it sounds a little bit like I'm not your stepping stone, but that's all right. It's a great riff. It's doubled with an organ part that I think is a Vox Continental, but uh, I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. And then there's the snotty, snarling vocals that actually come not from Mariani, but from keyboardist Richard Lane. But it's the kind of track that makes you want to turn it up at an obscene volume, sprinkle baby powder on the floor, and prepare for your own private dance party. Or maybe that's just me. She waved goodbye. She waved goodbye. Everyone thinks that I am crazy. I can 
Anyway, the Stems would go on to release one classic album, 1987's At First Sight, Violets Are Blue, which actually hit number one on the Australian alternative charts. And then the band just called it quits for a couple of decades. The album is more firmly in that kind of jangle pop, power pop realm, and it's great. But if you just love good primal garage rock and roll like me, then uh, you'll dig these early tracks by the stems, including my number four, Terrors Me in Two. I'm not that aware of the stems, but I think, I think are they on the Children of Nuggets box set? They I are think. on the Children's. In fact, I believe they have two tracks on Children's of Nuggets. Okay. Yeah, I think that'll be where I've heard them from. We were also on that, as you may know. Yes, you were. It's a great box. There's, and there's a lot of good stuff on that, that of bands that I haven't heard of. And I, yeah, and I haven't haven't really explored. But yeah, I'll look out for that one afresh. Sounds good. All right, and you're number four, Bob. Ah, my number four now. So um, this is a record, another record that I knew of but didn't buy. So you, know, you were talking, Greg, about uh, MTV. Well, I, we didn't, I didn't watch much MTV, but... The best thing, because I wasn't, I wasn't, although I wasn't paying attention much to music, stopped listening to the radio, John Peel, wasn't really looking at the music press, but there were two great TV programs in the UK at this time. Well, one was The Whistle Test, which uh, formerly the old Grey Whistle Test that had a lot of great bands on, so I'd watch that and pick up some things. And there was another great um, program called The Tube, which was went out on a Friday night and it was quite anarchic and live and it was the kind of program that it would just it wouldn't get made now because everything would have to be too controlled and safe but it was it was mad and they had lots of good live bands on that and this is the band that i i did not i don't think i even bought anything by them but it was one of those they were always on my list of things to buy if only i had kind of the money and it's um the icicle works hollow horse uh which they performed live on the tube and it's a great song and i've been yeah like when I was preparing for this, I was I started out with a, a big long list, and I've been, you know, refining it as I've gone forward. And every time I've played this, it just seems to get better and better. Yeah, Hollow Horse by the Icicle Works. They had a big hit in the UK with Love is a Wonderful Colour. That was their big kind of breakthrough, which was about 83 or so. And I I kind of, I I knew them from before then. I can't remember what their early stuff was called. But, um, and then like later than that, they had Understanding Jane, which was a great song. Um, And yeah, and Ian McNabb's still doing it, isn't he? I think he just, I just was reading him on Twitter and he said because he's you know in lockdown it forced him back into the studio and he's just like um he said he's going to release an album a year <laughs> like forever which is uh, admirable yeah that's welcome we had exactly one icicle work song that ever got played or gets played here and that's birds fly okay yeah yeah, yeah that's the big one here in the US I spun Thank that you. song 10,000 times myself I'm sure yeah. yeah all right mark number 4 Okay, number four, coming in, this Bob, This is a possible Bob might have guessed this song, but we'll have a go. This is James. Uh, this is him from A Village, which was released on Factory. This is one of the only records I bought um, without hearing it, ever. So I bought it because it was on Factory, and it's 
it's just an incredible single and James never really I mean they're going to hate me if they listen to this but they never really got anywhere near this it's such a good song they won't you know no <laughs> I'm hoping you guys know James and you know their work I mean they've, they've had some good Absolutely. good songs and some big hits but him from a village is just phenomenal phenomenal work got a complete james collection behind me in fact oh have you okay yeah there's some good stuff on there that that wasn't on my list of if i if i had permitted myself to do a top 10 and thought any and like any five from 10 i, I would probably put that in for you uh yeah <laughs> it didn't make my top 20 but it might have made my top 30. all right well you're 0 for 2 so far and I think I'm O for one, maybe on Greg. Although I I knew that the sun always shines on TV would be close. For yeah, you. that's a good one. Are you ready for my number four? Oh, can't wait! And of course, Brett, this has a connection with you because on July 16th of this year, I got to go see ABC. I was in California. I was going to be all by myself, and I had to pick between an Angels game, an Asian an Asian massage or I was going to go see ABC. So I went to go see ABC and I couldn't figure out how to get in. And I'm like an old dinosaur. So Brett said, here's a link to StubHub, Gramps. Why don't you get on there? And so I got, uh, I went all by myself, Dana Point, got to see ABC. Uh, I've always loved them from early MTV again. And then they kind of had that hiccup with that second album. But then in 85, they came out with How to Be a Millionaire and a lot of great songs on there. The, the song I'm picking is not Be Near Me because that song is barf. I'm not really into that. But the one song that I do love off How to Be a Millionaire is Vanity Kills. So that's my number four. I just like the song. Makes me happy. Uh, it's probably bubblegum pop to you guys. Because you guys got all the cool bands. James, you know, Icicle Works. <laughs> I got ABC and Vanity Kills. But it's a song that when I'm driving into work and I want to chew on the business end of a gun, I put that song on and uh, makes me feel happy. And then I get to work and I go through my day. So there you go. ABC, Vanity Kills. Vanity Kills. I'm so glad you got to see that show, Greg, and you know that they are also playing at Cruel World this year. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. Well, it's really Martin Fry because the other guy, can't yeah. think of his name, but he hasn't been in the band since... He probably collects checks, but he does like uh, the... I don't know. Like he does the non-touch Japanese massage stuff. By the way, Greg, you can do both. Uh, Asian massage parlors are generally open late, so it makes a great after show treat <laughs> well maybe yeah well not that i know yeah i just had to pick one so i said let's go see abc that would be more i promise my wife listens to the show <laughs> i have never been to one of these places nor have i <laughs> i think i i used to love abc but they had an album out called lexicon of love which and they were massive and they had like four top 10 hits but then they just vanished but they they 
didn't they, Mark? I don't remember them ever having another Yeah, that hit. was the yeah. second album. And even so, Martin Fry yeah. on stage said, yeah, maybe we should have made something like their first album and not try to do something different. Lexicon of Love was the first album. Right. Well, well, Beauty Stab yeah. was the second album yeah. where they like they tried to rock out and they were not oh, okay. convincing. Yeah. I can't imagine ABC rocking out. Yeah, But then they no. came out with How to Be a Zillionaire. That was yes. in 85. I think I said billion. That was in 85. Yeah. But, but that was a great one. And that was back to kind of the more synth sound that everyone loved him for. Hence, Vanity Kills. Yeah. Well, we are taking a look at our top five albums of 1985. Uh, don't forget, head over to our Facebook page. Songs. Songs. Right. See, thank Songs. you, Bob. See, look, even the See. guests have to correct me because this is how bad I am. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm serious. <laughs> I need help. I, Brett and I, are, we're wearing the same shirts today. And I said, Brett, happy for me, sad for you. Because if we're on the same brainwave, because I got issues. And I got... We're both wearing our... Our cord shirt right shirts, now. Yes. <laughs> oh. So mine's yeah. black. His is orange, though. So there's the difference. It's actually red. It's just the lighting. Oh, it's the lighting. Okay. Was that so? So, but did that was that just like uh, you didn't plan that? That was we just did not, we did not. No, no. We did not route a, a podcast memo about what to That's, wear. Yeah. How does that happen? We're, I, we're just we're connected. I way. wouldn't even notice. But then it was Brett's. Like I like your shirt, and I was like, Hey, how about that? So that's what happens sometimes. <laughs> well, I always compliment the way you dress. Anyway. Oh yeah, t-shirt. You're very snappy. Yeah. Yeah. I take a bath. We're lucky about that. All right, so uh, top five songs of 1985. Head over to our Facebook page. We want to hear what you think. This is an impossible week because all the great music that came out in 1985. Leave us your list there. We might talk about it next week and stick around because our list will continue after this. This is Jeff Drake, the author of Guilty. My life is a member of the Joneses, a heroin addict, a bank robber, and a federal inmate. And you're listening to the Only Three Lads podcast. Since the focus of our episode today is 1985, let's go back to the Dentist's debut album from that year. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. It is now. Here's a marvelous track from that record. I had an excellent dream. Oh, no. 
once again, thank you to the Only Three Lads community. Without you, we'd probably still do this, but it wouldn't be as much fun and we wouldn't learn as much. So thank you so much for being here. Don't forget, if your friends ask, we are on a lot of different platforms like Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, once in a while Spreaker, but they've been a little spotty here and there. Apple, the iHeartRadio app. Also go to Google, say, hate you, Spreaker. Only Three Lads podcast. If you have a smart speaker, just talk to it. Say, put on the Only Three Lads podcast, and then you're going to get to hear a bunch of new music, discover new music, hear music maybe you didn't hear for a long time. Takes you back to some of the best days of your life. At least that's what it does for me. It does for me as well. And you're right. If it weren't for all of you out there listening, we probably would still do this. But I could assure you that we wouldn't have great guests like Bob and Mark from The Dentist today. Very true. For all we know, that might be the case. You know. <laughs> We would still do it. We would still do it. We like talking. You bring up a very good point. All right, Brett, what's your number three? <laughs> Top five songs of 1985. So it was 1985. And I think it's an understatement to say that the Smiths were wildly influential on UK guitar-based pop music. Now, my number three is not the Smiths, but it is a song that I find abundantly Smiths influence. And it's Everything But The Girl in their 1985 classic When All's Well. So Everything But The Girl is, of course, I think all of our listeners are aware of them. It's a collaboration between now married couple Tracy Thorne and Ben Watt. And uh, they actually have their first long-awaited album of the 21st century coming out in a few months. So looking very forward to that. But back then in 1985, they were both cherry red artists sporadically collaborating between solo projects and Tracy playing with her band Marine Girls uh, before Everything But The Girl became a full-time gig. Their first album in 1984 was a gorgeous, sophisticated blend of acoustic jazz and bossa nova with Thorne's wondrous, smoky vocals. But then with this lead track off their second album, Love Not Money, they reinvented themselves, which was something that they would continue to do throughout their career. But despite the peppy horn chart, you can almost picture Morrissey doing Tracy Thorne's dance moves and facial expressions on the video, if anybody's familiar with the video for this song. And uh, Ben Watt plays this rather Mar-esque guitar figure, and he wrote the lyrics, and he pens these kind of Moz-worthy words like, too selfish by half, too ugly by far, reminds me of such wretched times, and yet all the same, I will never deign to think ill of you, but amongst the dross, the lies and grief, when all's well, my love is like cathedral bells. But don't get me wrong. I don't intend to imply that this is mimicry in any way. It's a fantastic pop song, and while it may be inspired by the Mancunian legends, it's uniquely everything but the girl. So I'll be anxiously awaiting their return, and in the meantime, my number three, win all's well, everything but the girl. Amongst all the dross, lies and the grief, there are so many things you just wouldn't choice thank you i am excited about their new music also i am too even though i sense that it will probably be very much in the the dancey vein but it's all right so i'm a little bit upset because in my very very long list of contenders i didn't i missed no i don't know that album but i missed that they had an album out that year otherwise i would have listened to it for short listing purposes my number three this is one of the a record i actually did buy 
1985. It is a seven-inch single. I don't have it in my hand this moment. But like many other bands, this is a band that I had kind of lost touch with, if you like. I loved them in the late 70s, early 80s. I was a big fan, up to and including Hex Induction Out, Return to Form, 1985, Cruiser's Creek. Wow, what a song, what a track. Uh, by the fall, of course, if you haven't uh, guessed it by now. Hey, look at this. I win, I win, I win. <laughs> I got one right. No spoilers, Mark. Let's get to it. Oh, I'll, yeah, that was yeah. your prediction for me. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, everything about this, what a, what a guitar riff. That when the drums come in, fabulous. What a, you know, what a bass line and just as, as you know, as always, the vocal delivery and the punchiness with it, and it was like, wow, wow. And the B-side is great, a song called L.A. as well. So uh, the original drummer of The Dentist, Ian, he, he is the world, he's a massive, massive, massive Fall fan. He's probably got everything by them. And he did. He does say to me, you know, you should you should get into the, the Bricks years because that's their poppy years and you'd like it. So I haven't done yet, or maybe I should. So I started with Cruiser's Creek um, 37 years ago. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm still on that journey. But yeah, what a cracking single. It is a great yeah, one. Yeah, it could work, both. Awesome. It is a great one. And yeah, the, uh, Bricks really added uh, just a whole other dimension to their work. That, I would say that those are definitely my favorite years as well. Well, we yeah. all have homework now. It's a great record. That's a homework one. Good job. Thank you, Bob. Am I up? Yeah. Okay. So uh, we mentioned earlier on that, that we were starting, some of our heroes were starting to let us down a little bit. Uh, I was expecting these guys to kind of resurrect the whole kind of bunny men thing. So this is the Mighty Lemon Jobs. Uh, this is like an angel. Oh, you've gone upside down. Am I upside down? Wow. On my, at least on my screen. Okay. <laughs> That's impressive. That is impressive because I'm done. Yeah, you've gone upside down, Mark. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Just the amount of drugs I'm taking. It's it's now in a yeah. So the, the Mighty Lemon Jobs, like an angel. Again, to be fair to the Mighty Lemon Jobs, they never really exceeded the heights of this, in my in my personal opinion, but. Uh, this is an absolutely fantastic single, uh, just a just a brilliant record, and uh, I think it was something I did here on on Peel, um, just absolutely blew my head off. And I thought they were going to be the new Echo and the Bunny Men for a while, which is something Arcade Fire are desperately trying to do now. But at the time, I thought it was going to be the Lemon Drops. But um, that is a cracking seven-inch single. Uh, just to forewarn you, Dave Newton does listen to uh, Well, good work, so. David. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a great episode when he when he was on. He, he did Songs of 1979, didn't he? And that was uh, that was a brilliant episode. I loved loved loads of your choices on that. Like uh, the, uh, Graham Parker and the Rumour, that single. Whoa, yeah. Anyway, digressing. <laughs> Mark is upside down. You're yeah. disturbing. Just, just tilt your eyes. The, uh, the mighty bit. lemon drops were inside out, not upside <laughs> down. Very Mark. good. 
Well, you ah, there, he ah. Is. there you go. Ah, look at that quickness. Yeah, upside down was the Jesus and Mary chain, surely. Okay, I'm, I've still so I've I've still got a, a grand total of zero guesses right for Mark. He's one. Brent, what about your your guess, your guesses for mine? Uh, I don't think. Well, you've... two that you have chosen so far, I felt were on the cusp, possibly. Okay, but I made the mistake of actually revealing what I thought my choices for you would be two bobs mm-hmm. so he knows exactly what I thought you would pick. <laughs> and I think I'm 0 for 2 on oh, those. Okay. 0 for yeah. 2 so far. Okay, well, here's my number three. Now, um, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I'm, I got issues. So this song has been described, my number three song, it's kind of like a leather boot pinned directly to your chest. So right there, I'm very interested. But um, I think this Aussie band should be more popular in the U.S. than what they've ever have been. They had that really big song, I Touch Myself, <laughs> but the Divinals, I mean, come on. Their big song for me, Pleasure and Pain. I mean, that's got to be on a list, right? I just love this song. I always have. I know Holly Knight helped write that song, or she wrote it. She's a songwriter, if you know who she is, but she probably wrote a lot of songs that you hear on the radio throughout your life. And uh, this song here, I just think, I know I'm going to murder her last name, but Chrissy Ampletz or Ampletz? How do we Amplet? say it? Does I anyone think- know? A-M-P-H-L-E-T-T? Okay. I think it's L-E-T-T. That's what I said. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. 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 Well, good. All right. Well, anyways, I think she's one of the best voices in rock that we've had. I love her style. I love just the grit. Again, I like grit. I don't, when I walk into a hotel, I don't want someone to pull the door for me. I want it, my feet to stick to the floor. And uh, that's the type of vocals that she has for me. So I got I had to put uh, Divinals on my list. Pleasure and Pain, number three. In that case, I don't want to stay at any hotel that you've <laughs> been at. Yeah, no, I totally understand why. But like I've always said, if I ever make it to the promised land, I'm going to walk through the alleys and then I'm leaving. Because I don't like the shiny, sparkly, and then the people with like all the smiles. Hi, how are you? Uh, whatever. I guess I'm just, I'm becoming more of a curmudgeon the older I get. And uh, just want to be left alone. And I I don't want fakeness, I guess. And so, all right, that's where. You, you should do some hotel charts like us, Greg. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe I should. I, <laughs> My feet didn't stick to the floor. I give this one <laughs> yeah, a one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you go in the bathroom, you got to keep your shoes on. You know, there's, there's leukemia coming from the shower head. I'm totally down for that, you know? I don't <laughs> like pretty things. So I don't know anything about the Divinals except the single, which I have, called I Touch Myself, which is a big hit in the UK. Huge hit no- they, they had nothing, nothing else, and I didn't even know they'd done much other stuff. And I really like that song. And I was in another band uh, where we attempted to cover that at a party. It was quite, uh, people still talk about that performance. I was yeah, well, well, I Touched Myself was a huge hit in the U.S. too. Huge. MTV, yeah. just huge. Like their biggest song. But Pleasure and Pain, I think that you would like. And then uh, Boys Town. Is that, am I saying that right, Brett? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Because they had been around since the early 80s. Yeah. Boy, Boys in Town. That was uh, from their first album. Boys in Town. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. I liked all those songs. Yeah. They were really good. And uh, about covering I Touch Myself, I don't know if you had a female vocalist but it, it's considerably <laughs> creepier i i was i was the vocalist oh but boy. that makes it more well, fun are you kidding yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately that's why people still talk about it luckily <laughs> luckily 
I was playing guitar at the time, so I did have something to do with my hands. There's obscenity laws, um, Bob. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Just common decency as well. As long as you were clean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. Just be careful when you're touching the frets on the <laughs> neck, so to speak. All right. But if you guys can do that with your acoustic show on February 18th, I think that would be a big hit. Yeah, we haven't discussed cover versions of anything yet, but that's that's not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good idea. You might you might want to go to the doctor's children it. before that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Great pick, Greg. So my number two, the sounds amazing first two records, Jeopardy and From the Lion's Mouth, rightfully get tons of praise. But those records also tend to cast a giant shadow on the rest of their catalog, including what was actually their best performing album on the charts, which was 1985 Heads and Hearts. So well, nothing that the sound ever did sounded like it was destined to be a huge fire setting chart hit. The label selected the least moderately more commercial sounding post-punk track Under You as the album's single. But to me, the album's emotional heart is the second track, which is my number two this week, Total Recall. So the late Adrian Borland described the song as being about the anger that you often feel when you're in love and your partner is unable to recall you know, all of the good times and what made your relationship special. And then there's this hope for reconciliation and a return to that place and time. So Borland squeezes every last emotion out of the chorus. Another time, another time, oh, there must have been a hole in your memory. who's ever been lovelorn and i'm sure it's all of us it's a totally relatable gut punch and of course i love the sounds sound or the sound of the sound whatever but this track has all the hallmarks of classic sound that upfront bass the ethereal keyboards and borland's distinctive emotional delivery also another past guest of ours ammo who did our goth songs episode she does a really fantastic version of this song on the sound tribute album that came out a few years ago do you feel that way too so anyway that's my number two this week the sound total recall oh now you're sideways mark yeah i'm trying to rectify whatever the problem is but yeah you were sideways now you're upside down again never mind i'm just gonna cover you up with a bit of paper and brett how about the sonic stylings of the sound the sonic stylings of the sound sound. sound. i like that yeah, I was thinking, okay. I love the sound, and you're right. It's those two albums, the first two, that I love. I've, I've got, yeah, I love them, but I didn't explore. I knew they still were making albums, but I didn't explore 1985. My number two is another track that I had no idea existed in 1985. It was a band that I'd, I had heard on Peel in about 82. Didn't even know they were still going. Rediscovered this track or just discovered it for the first time rather in recent years. It's an Irish band that are not you two. It is Micro Disney and the song is Birthday Girl, which is just, no matter how many times I play it, it just gets better and better. It's just a fabulous song and what a vocal performance.
I've just, I'm just obsessed by it. It's, it's a fantastic record and it's really, yeah, definitely a solid uh, number two in my uh, in my chart. There's a great, we were talking about the tube earlier. There's a, gr a great performance of them doing it on the tube. Quite a bit faster than the record, but I'd look that up, look up, look that up on YouTube. The performance is just, just, yeah. Incredible. Yeah, great song. Great song. I love Micro Disney. And while we're talking about great albums, that whole The Clock Comes Down the Stairs album is just remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, I'd just like to say for the record, I think I know Bob's number one now. So if I haven't got that right, that'll be disappointing. But anyway, uh, so my number two. So we were all a bit upset when the undertones uh, split up. Uh, but my number two is That Petrol Emotion. Uh, and the song is called Keen. Um, another great, fantastic single um, involving the, the, the O'Neill brothers from the Undertones and Steve Mack, the uh, legendary American vocalist who, uh, who got involved. It was uh, one of the first releases on the Pink label, which they put out the June Brides and a few other really great bands. But Keen, if you don't, again, if you don't know the song, it's just a, a brilliant song. It's just a, a powerful kind of pop song, really. Um, yeah, and I just thought we—I think we all thought at the time there were great things to come from that petrol emotion, and they made some really good records, but they never really got the acclaim they deserved. I don't think it's a bit of a bit of a lost gem. You don't know how close that came to my list. Yeah, it's yeah. such a great song. Yeah. Such a great song. I'm an undertones nut. Excellent. So I was all in yeah. on Bob's that petrol. A bigger emotion. undertones nut than me. I'm an undertones nut. Yeah. Uh, Fearful Sharky solo career. Mm. Not, so <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> but I saw. Have you seen the undertones with the singer they've got now? I, I saw have. them about seven or eight years ago yep. they are absolutely bloody fantastic they are and he's a very different singer he, he doesn't try and sound like Fergus Sharkey why would you but no they are still they, they are pumping it out just like they're the same age it's, they're brilliant and Mickey Bradley uh, the bass player does a show he's, he's a DJ does a show on BBC Radio Ulster in Northern Ireland and he, he he's he's a big fan of like Medway bands and he's played out and the Treasures of Mexico yeah, um, good quite guy. a few times. Mickey, I listen to his show thanks to the wonders mm. of modern technology. Yeah. All right. Great choice. Good day, good day. All right. Well, you guys are getting all these, you know, UK bands, guitar bands and stuff. Well, I, this My number two is a guitar band. But um, again, probably more mainstream that you guys would have picked. But I love this song. Uh, ever since 1985, I've been listening to it. Ever since I could go to alternative nights at clubs, and you know, be on the dance floor drunk, dancing to this song. I love this song, Drama Rama, anything, anything. Um, I, my friends in, you know, if, if you guys know Lincoln Park and uh, you know Chester in Grey Days, they did a cover of this song, which was huge here in the Valley. Used to play it on the radio, and then they have remixed it with the Men's and with their uh, new album called The Phoenix. And so, um, I just love it. This song, anything, anything. Drama Rama, gotta be number two, gotta be on my list. Give you 
You didn't pick that song for me? I had the band, but I thought you were going to pick Emerald City. Because you em- mentioned in the past how much you love that song. I, I do love that song, but I was thinking like songs, top five songs. And so, I don't know. Um, I went more mainstream, but Emerald City is definitely one of my favorite songs ever recorded or put on tape or put on digital or however you kids <laughs> do it nowadays. I don't know. <laughs> it uh, That one always reminds me of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I think uh, yeah, they did number do four. Yeah. Yep. I think it accompanied a, a slasher scene. I don't think Bob or Mark are too impressed. I've never heard of them. I'm, I can't be either impressed or not impressed, but um, oh, I'll well. have to look them out. I'll have to. Yeah, I've written that down. Yeah. yeah. And then listen to Emerald City. It's on that same 1985 okay. album. But Emerald City is So where are they from? Where are they from? Well, they, British, they were British, in like the Midwest, and then that song hit on K-Rock oh. in L.A., and then so they moved to okay. L.A., so they're kind of known as an L.A. band, but they actually came from, I want to see... I thought they were from Jersey originally. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Could, could be wrong. Okay. Yeah, they were from Jersey, and then they went to L.A., and then, you know, they had their career. I saw them live a few times, so they're, they're fun yeah. to watch. The uh, fun So, fun fact, the bassist from John Barama is a guy named Chris Carter, who is an absolute Beatles scholar, and he does, uh, he did Breakfast with the Beatles uh, uh, Sunday morning radio show in L.A., and he now does that on the Beatles channel on Sirius. Okay, I hear that once in a while. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're almost there. Our number one songs of 1985. Uh, I, You know, we've been working on new t-shirts so people can wear the colors of this podcast. Are we anywhere closer of getting the new t-shirts? I'm slacking, Greg. No, you're not slacking. I can't do it, but that's why Brett has to be the, you have to be the, the artist that puts these shirts together. But we're working on new shirts. So we're going to put out a post and you can grab a shirt. Uh, help pay for production cost of this podcast, which is what a buck two ninety eight each and every week or something like that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, uh, hey, get to our you know Facebook page. Whenever you see one of our posts, please share it. Uh, once again, we want to build this community and thank you for being a part of it. And uh, we'll have our number one song of 1985 coming up after this. From the era that brought you Where's the Beef? Where's the Beef? And Max Headroom. This is Max Headroom. And what you're about to witness is one of the most sinister sounding intros. Buckle up and experience only three lads. Now let's catch up with something more recent from today's guests, Mark Matthews and Bob Collins. From the band The Treasures of Mexico and written and sung by Mark, here's their 2021 single Always the Shadows on the wonderful spin-out Nuggets label. Available on all streaming platforms or for digital or vinyl purchase from the Spin Out Nuggets Bandcamp site.
I now know what I think Brett thinks Greg's number one is. Oh, I know exactly what oh, I think Greg's really? number one is going to be. Yes. Ah. Uh, Surprise uh, and dazzle me, Greg. Maybe. I don't know. I but probably not. You probably haven't nailed. I'm pretty predictable. It is the Only Three Lads podcast. Once again, thank you for being here, being part of this golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. Bob asked before we started the podcast, why did we have those years? And I just learned myself. Uh, they were just kind of picked, and uh, we have so many different reasons. And 1974 to 1999, 25-year period. Maybe when we're doing this in 2029, Brett, maybe we can go to 2009. So maybe sure. we'll just never know. I am definitely not against that. But I do remember you were a part of that conversation, Greg. <laughs> yeah, well, like, I don't remember what I said 15 minutes ago. Like, I remember something from three years ago. Probably not. Uh, you said, uh, I touched myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great song. 15 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, seems- you were talking about a song. Yeah, in 74, I'm I, well, sorry. I probably wasn't touching myself, but I was thinking about it. And then um, by 1985, definitely. Save something for after the show. Oh, the TMI stuff. Okay, you got it. So our number one songs of 1985 so far. I have a lot of homework, a lot of great stuff that I, I'm dying to hear from all three totally. of you. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure that you guys are like, yeah, I don't really care about Greg's list <laughs> thus far. But it's been a love <laughs> fest true. with you guys. It's not true. Um, so, Brett, what is your number one song of 1985? Well, I mean, since we're having this fun game where we guess each other's, does anybody have any guesses what mine might be? Hmm. Prince. Raspberry Beret. No I, no, I think you mentioned the Smiths earlier. I think you might be going for... Now, I have my own reasons for... And I'll, I'll spoil that. I, I, I haven't got a Smith song in my top 10. I, or even in my top... No, no, I haven't got a Smith song in my top five. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to go... All right, let me plump. You're going to go Shakespeare's Sister by the Smiths. Not one of my favorite Smith singles. No, nah, good. No, I mean, no, no, that's why I didn't pick it either. <laughs> of 85 Smith's tracks I would have gone for, I want the one I can't have for me is murder. But I didn't. The one, the only one I was on is in my top twenty. Was Barbarism Begins at Home, um, which to me is the only half decent track on me. I was so, I was yeah. so disappointed with me as murder. Um, I actually yeah. gave my copy to you, Mark. Do you remember that? I was didn't want it, but Barbarism Begins at yeah. Home is a great, great track. I, I kind of thought because this is top songs of eighty five. It's not really a song. But just as an instrumental track, even alone, it's just phenomenal. But anyway, it didn't make my my list. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and give it up now. And I know I haven't gone overly commercial this episode, especially considering how many massive songs there were in 1985. My number one is a track that hit number 21 on the UK charts. It received heavy US airplay thanks to its inclusion on the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. And it's one of the rare instances where a new track on a Greatest Hits compilation actually deserved to be on there. Does that make it any clearer? Mm. (laughs) Power Station. It is. From October 1985, Echo and the Bunnymen's Bring on the Dancing Horses. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Okay. I was 11 years old when this song came out. There were a lot of kids who were into it and... They were snickering because they said, oh, you know, the song's about drugs. He, 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 he. 
And maybe it is, I don't know. Ian has said that it's about art with the dancing horses headless and alone being statues and how humans with actual hearts and souls derive their own self-worth and sense of value from these inanimate messiahs made of stone. Sounds like drugs to me. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to take anything that, that Ian McCulloch says with a grain of salt. Lines like Jimmy Brown, Made of Stone, Charlie Clown, No Way Home, ain't exactly Bob Dylan, but otherwise it's one of those perfect 10 singles for me, which is really something considering that I consider Ocean Rain, the album that came before it, of course, yeah. a perfect 10 album. But the uh, shimmering synth undertones give it a very modern production flair, but it's still very much an echo guitar pop record. The verse, the pre-chorus, and the chorus are all melodically brilliant. There's something just incredibly heart-wrenching about the line, shiver and say the words of every lie you've heard, and then following it with that sublime chorus that really makes it, at least to quote the compilation it hails from, a song to learn and sing. So bring on my number one, bring on the dancing horses, Echo and the Bunnymen. That's a good choice. It was in my top 10. Yeah, it was a good choice. We both love, I love Echo and the Bunnymen, but I, I didn't, yeah, by that time I wasn't, I, I, that's not that's not one of my favorites uh particularly it's not bad but i yeah it's just again like a lot of bands i'd kind of up to it including yeah. ocean yeah. rain and then i kind of I, even now i don't really know the latest stuff but yeah saw them live about 10 years ago great 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 band yeah i saw them live about 20 years ago and they were great i saw them live last year and ian i think was recovering from uh from covid and they were not great will Sargent was great mm. ian was not great so they're playing cruel world again big festival uh we have coming up here in may all right so bob's number one mark do you have a guess on his i'm holding it in my hand i'll be amazed if this isn't bob's number one roll, please. okay i had i agonized over lots of lots of my choices on uh my top five Except this one, which was the first name on the team sheet. It's number one, of course it is. You know, we mentioned earlier about coming from Medway and seeing the milkshakes, shakes and wanting to, you know, emulate the kind of passion and the style and just the hammering it out with, you know. And in 1985, literally there were no bands I was a massive, massive fan of contemporaneously outside of Medway, except this one. I saw them on the whistle test. Uh, I, I knew them, they were championed by a DJ called Andy Kershaw over here, along with a lot of the Paisley Underground bands. And Mark is absolutely right. And so I really, really loved them. I went to see them, and in particular, when they had their new album out, which was called State of the Union, they came on the whistle test and they were introduced by a very excitable Andy Kershaw. And they just started playing this, their new single, looking for Lewis and Clark, the Long Riders, absolutely fabulous. And they stomped their way through it. The performance, if you yeah. see it on YouTube, yeah. is just phenomenal. Everything about it, the delivery, and it's like they were the only band, that like, they could be a Medway band. <laughs> I don't know if they'll think of that as a compliment or not, but it, it bloody is, it bloody is a compliment. 
because like they they were just playing like Rickenbacker guitars or tellies through simple Vox AC30 amp and just kicking the absolute shit out of everything. It's just phenomenal, just just even better than the record on, on that on that on that show. And Stephen McCarthy's solo just is out of this world. This was iconic for us and we covered it whenever we had the chance. Not you know, we were doing like any kind of party set or anything. Yeah, looking for Lewis and Clark by the Long Riders. I could have picked a lot of things off this album. I did strip restrict myself to one song per band, but yeah, looking for Lewis and Clark by the Long Riders. Yep. Yep. Wow. Solid gold. I should have put money Great on that. One. Mark nailed Great it. <laughs> is that is that the whistle <laughs> test when Andy Kershaw just introduced him as this this is the best band you will ever see? Is that is it that performance? I can't yeah. remember what he says, but it was very short. And of course in those days I was I was poised <laughs> v- with my VHS. Uh, record and play on my VHS and like, I didn't catch the beginning because it was just like so and it was like oh my god, this is brilliant, this is brilliant. And so and I I, I, I actually uploaded the clip I mean you can there's much better quality. I think I was the first person to upload that clip on YouTube way back in the about 16 years ago, and it's terrible quality. And I just I just missed the first. Um, but there's much better quality clips uploaded now, and you can see his introduction. Yeah. He's just like bouncing around, going, "Ladies and gentlemen, all riders," and he, he's as excited yeah. as I was watching it. Wow, that's cool. Great track. But I went to see them twice, uh, at least in that year live they were just they were just fabulous just fabulous live yeah and i think they were considerably bigger over in the uk than they ever were here yeah they and i think largely due to the championing of andy kershaw and the coverage they got they, and they played a lot in the uk and sid griffin still, he lives in london now he still play, he plays around in, in london um they're they're actually on tour now i was very lucky enough to um one of my previous bands my own band bob collins and the full nelson we got to support the Long Riders in 2016 in Brighton for one gig, and I was just, I was beside myself. It was uh, yeah, it was it was great. They were lovely chaps as well. Okay, so Mark, you're number one, and yep. Bob's going to get Bob's going to get this. The Cure. Oh, okay. In between, he hasn't got it. In between days. I have absolutely none none right on Mark. No, we so, it. Well, it's just it's just a fantastic pop song, and I remember particularly in, in 1985 because as as you very kindly said earlier, we were starting to release records in 1985, and I remember in between days coming out as being the absolute top dollar uh, pop song, and I just remember thinking at the time, why are we even bothering? Because we're never going to get anywhere near the genius of this, and and it it just was effortless for Robert Smith just to come out with these pop songs and and I, i've absolutely loved that song there's several cure songs that are just but i mean boys don't cry is a fantastic song i, I really love primary which is a fan, again a fantastic song but in between days just absolutely blew away anything in the charts that year but by, by uh, you know by some considerable distance
the cure are a bit patchy for me i'm not so into the the doom and gloom stuff but the, when they when they want to write a pop song or or a hit single you know robert smith's got that in his arsenal so that that's just a fantastic record good pick absolutely great one that was another one that came very close for me. yeah understandable it's a it's a brilliant song so I've got I've got precisely zero I've got precisely zero <laughs> guesses right for Mark. Which is concerning five. considering you've known me for forty years. Now I'm interested in Mark. Which one of your top five was the one you thought I would have as well? I, I thought you would have him from a village. Oh okay, no. I, that was that didn't it, I that was on my kind of long, long list. It didn't make my top twenty, but it probably would make my top thirty. I thought I thought you might have had looking for Lewis and Clark as well. Yeah, I've got it here. It, it was in my top 10 comfortably, uh, and as was Cruiser's Creek. Yeah. Right, so there's one massive omission from yours that I think... Are you sure you... Have you remembered? Delamitri, Hammering Heart. Yep, I did remember that. And Sticks and Stones Girl I've got as well as 85. Hammering Heart yeah. I thought was 86. Ah, no, they're okay. both on the album. Sticks and Stones Girl I thought was the 85 single, but uh, and again, I have got that uh, in my top 10, but okay. no. So the other ones I thought I thought I had in uh, I thought you might go for take the skinheads bowling. I've got that in my top ten. Yeah, very good. Me okay. too. I got that on my big list. <laughs> good man. I thought you might go for talking heads. Maybe road to nowhere. No, don't, I'm not a fan of road to nowhere. Okay, I had and she was in my top ten. Okay, uh, and I thought you might go for as we said before. I thought you might go for. Katrina and the Waves, Walking on Sunshine, as your the one you said was your big pop hit. No, no, that didn't even. That was that, that was very good for for the pop for the pop charts. That was good, but the earlier version that they released in Canada was even better. Oh really? I didn't know there was one. Okay, yeah, not not quite as glossy. I think that's from like eighty three, maybe. I love the Cure album that uh, uh, um, Head on the Door. I did think about that, but I couldn't pick. A song. I mean, I thought of Close to Me. I thought of A Night Like This, and there's a couple of other. I really like that album. All the B sides from the uh, ah. from the Head on the Door sessions are fantastic. I don't know them. Uh, Exploding Boy. Yeah, Exploding Boy is a good song. Greg, do you want me to guess? Yeah, just tell them what my number one song of nineteen. I'm going to write it down. I say your number one is going to be the Cult. She sells sanctuary. Look at Bob has it up on his screen too. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't pick that one. What? <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely love the cult um, and uh, that whole album, um, Electric. But I went with a, another song that I've talked about my love in the past in '85. I swear it better not be the Power Station. Bang a gong. There you go, man. That was not. Dang no, it. I'm not. That's not my number one song. It's Depeche Mode. Shake the Disease. That's my number one song of 1980. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, I love that song. Interesting, yeah. So sorry, they got wah, wah, wah. Not only the pick was completely wrong, but I do love the cult. Um, that whole album, if I was on an island, I want the electric album. That's probably the first one I'd pick. But, I, but if we're talking about songs, like I'm talking about when I want to be happy and I want to drive to work and I want to forget... Uh, Shake the Disease for me is one of my favorite. It, it was their 13th single. So see, the number 13 isn't taboo. And so I just felt like, um, I don't know. I had to pick that song. So sorry to ruin the guesses. We were all terrible <laughs> at it this week. Um, you burst me bubble, Greg. I know. She's so sanctuary. To make you see. Please. 
Like Memphis hip, uh, hip Shake. I like that song off that album. All right. I know I know there are 150 other episodes where you'll pick the cult, so yeah. all is not lost. Okay. Well, sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. But I do it weekly. You might have been, you probably have calluses on your brain for me this at this point. So Yeah. Um, I, I've grown accustomed to the disappointment. Yeah, <laughs> the curveballs that I throw of uh but you guys went like, you know, guitar and fun, you know. Guitar-driven rock. I went all over the place. That's you see. You guys are stable. I am not. So I love you. <laughs> I do love you. Yeah, so. we went dull. That's the thing. No, I'm. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear all these songs. It's like after we do these podcasts, then I usually sit here for another couple hours going over people's lists, going, "Oh, I really like that. Ooh, that's because it's always like homework. There's, a, huh. I always discover yeah. new things, and you know." Yeah, I've been writing down some of the things you guys have said because, yeah, I, I haven't heard some, and a couple of Bob said actually, but yeah, I'm I'm excited about the stems in particular, and I definitely will check check out Drama Rama, who I've never heard of either. So yeah, I've done the same. Yeah. And uh, the Doctor's Children is the one for me that I have not heard. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I've heard of it. So yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that out. So in in honor of our hometown, I think we I know you'll get to honorable mentions, but Medway. I didn't include any Medway acts. I thought, oh, where do I put them? And I'll just, I'll just, I'll just. But there's the prisoners. Uh, last forefathers came out that year. The Daggermen, Dagger in my mind, and the claim. Armstrong's revenge. Do you know the claim, Greg? Brett. I know the claim. Yeah, they're they're, they're fantastic. We went to see them last uh, last Saturday night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so none of them made the chart. But honourable mentions. Any honourable mentions for you, Greg? Oh gosh, there's a ton of them. I mean, we could sit here for the next hour. There was so we much great music. Days. Yeah, that's. But I would think that you know, God, Brian Ferry. He came out with "Don't Stop the Dance" that year, right? Was it '85? That was on uh, my I list. Believe so, Boys yeah. and Girls album. Uh huh. Um, of course, Power Station. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, thank, you. thank you for not doing that to me. But New Order, they had a bunch of songs. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to pick King, Love and Pride, but that actually came out in 84, but I think it came out on yeah. an album in 85. I really love that song. Uh, there was a ton of Cure songs, like Mark, that I could have picked. Um, a lot of uh, uh, Oink, Oinko Boingo songs, not Weird Science, because I hate that song. But Just Another Day, I believe, came out in 85. I could have picked that. So there's some honorable mentions there. I, had, uh, I, I thought you might have gone for Love Like Blood by yeah, Killing believe Joe, me. which I did... I, I did put on my list at about number 20. No, I, I totally love that band. I love Like Blood is one of my favorite songs. Also, 80s, uh, that came out, all that came out in 85. Yeah. Um, but I was just yep. thinking of songs that, like I said, that I listen to a lot when I'm driving to work. And yeah, these just happen to be out, out all in 85. But Love Like Blood is one of my favorite songs, too. That, that could have been my number six song. We've gone into this story before, so I, I will save our listeners the long story. Jazz Coleman's mother was my third grade teacher. So there you go. Oh, there's, wow. There's my killing joke connection. I'd like to put forward an honorable mention for Hole of the Moon by the Water Boys uh, yes. in, my, in my top 10. It's about the only one we haven't mentioned, but that's a great, great, great song. That was on my list too, as well as Prefab Sprout, Appetite. Yeah, I had Appetite oh, at one okay. point. Yeah. I had Farron Young at number nine. Farron Young Love is a great song. one too. 
The Apartments, What's the Morning For? Great Australian band, The Bats. Great New Zealand band, Chicken Bird Run. Uh, Susie and the Banshee, Cities in Dust. Oh, great okay. power pop okay. band from L.A. called Candy, Whatever Happened to Fun. The June Brides, No Place Called Home. Television okay. Personalities, yep. How I Learned to Love the Bomb. If I Weren't So Stubborn, uh, like I said, definitely Just Like Honey by Jesus and Mary Chain would have been on there, as probably uh, Felt Primitive Painters would have been as well. Primitive Painters was my number 16. Aha. Look at that. You're very organized. I am. I, I, I issued, oh, I've got my chart. So very <laughs> close for me, and they, they were in and out, in and out. Probably the two nearest bubbling under songs for me were Up the Hill and Down the Slope by The Loft. That's another one on my list, yep. And The Rain Parade, depending on you. Another good one. Uh, and the other one, which is a bit more mainstream, it was a big chart hit over here, was The Fine Young Cannibals, Johnny Come Home. Yeah, good one. Do you know that song? Yeah. Yep. And also, Brett, I, I, I'm, I've never really clicked with The Replacements, but Swinging Party was definitely on my list. Life in a Northern Town by the Dream Academy. Do you know That's that? A good one. Produced yeah. by Dave Gilmore. And Green and Red, they had a good album. A couple of tracks, I could have picked one of theirs from uh, Gas Food Lodging. We like you guys. Yeah, we heard all those songs <laughs> this morning, Water Boys and Green on Red. Yep, uh, I was listening to that yep. earlier. Good stuff indeed. All right, let's run down our list as a recap, if I could remember what I had. You started let's with see. The Dentist. Thank you. I had The Dentist. Oh, yeah, how could I forget? Strawberries are growing in my garden, and it's winter time. Number four, the stems tears me to, tears me in two. I can say that. Number three, everything but the girl when all's well. Number two, the sound total recall, and number one, Echo and the Bunnymen bring on the dancing horses. All right, Bob, the final recap. Yeah, so my number five was Jeans Not Happening by the Pale Fountains. Number four was the Icicle Works with Hollow Horse. Number three, Cruisers Creek by the Fall. Number two, Birthday Girl by Micro Disney. And number one, Looking for Lewis and Clark by The Long Riders. All right, Mark? Uh, yeah, my, so my number five was Tomorrow I'll Die by Doctor's Children. Uh, number four was Him from a Village by James. Number three was Like an Angel by The Mighty Lemon Drops. Number two was Keen, That Petrol Emotion. And number one, by a long way, was In Between Days by The Cure. And for me at number five, Aha, The Sun Always Shines on TV. At number four, ABC, Vanity Kills, because it doesn't pay the bills. Divinals at number three with Pleasure and Pain. At number two, Drama Rama, Anything, Anything, but Slash Emerald City. If you have never heard that song, please listen to that. And number one for me, uh, it was not The Cult. Uh, sorry, Brett. It was Depeche Mode, Shake the Disease. I didn't have that anywhere near my list really? of, of choices for you. Mm, I, really I should have. have. Yeah. I don't know why. I love that song. Mark and Bob. Where can people discover you, refine you, get your music, find out what you guys are doing? Well, the Treasures of Mexico, which is what Bob and I are up to now, um, we're on most of the major streaming platforms, so Spotify, Deezer, all those kind of things, YouTube. Uh, there's a Facebook page. Um, we haven't really got an active website, but yeah, we've got two albums out, so check, check those things out, and there's a new one coming out, hopefully in around August kind of time. Um, the dentists are a bit more sporadic, I think. Um, I don't know, Bob, where the early sporadic. stuff. Sporadic. That's that sporadic. Right? Can't even speak well, that's now. That's the next album name, Sporadic. Sporadic, yeah. 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 In the attic or something, maybe. The way you say it, it sounds the same with a D or a T. Yeah, that's probably there true. You guys. It's my midway accent. Sporadic. 
but it, yeah, the dentist stuff it, it's trickier to find, isn't it? I think it. Uh, well, yeah, our website is down, such as it. It's a bit uh, well, well out of date anyway. But we've got a we've got a Facebook page and we've got a Twitter account. Um, so they're the best places to hook up with the dentists. And we've got the as well as the dentist main Facebook page, we've got the dentist thirty years ago Facebook page where we post like real time things ah. that happened thirty years ago. We've had that going for the ten years. So uh, yeah, that's quite interesting. As well as the Treasure Mexico, uh, just a little plug. I'm also playing guitar for the Swansea Sound at the moment, which oh, yeah. is the um, Rob and Amelia from Heavenly and uh, Hugh from the Poo Sticks and Ian, Ian Button on drums. So we, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, we're playing a few few shows this year. Excellent. Yeah, I, I love uh, what I've heard from Swansea Sound so far. It's a veritable indie super group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that first album they recorded during lockdown, I, I wasn't on that. It was later they got they got me in to do some live live shows. So... They got another album coming out, which on later in the year, I guess. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the dentist stuff being somewhat tricky to track down, and there are some albums on streaming, not everything. That's right. Uh, yeah. So definitely, you know, Discogs. I would say everybody out there is going to be your friend here. We're working on the legacy and getting it all up there. Great. Don't hold your breath. But <laughs> I almost forgot. I have to mention. Would you like a world exclusive? Absolutely. Yes. Right now. You are fans of Precious Recordings of London, aren't you? Absolutely. So we recorded but one BBC Radio 1 session on the Janice Long program. That's coming out on the next batch of Precious Recordings uh, releases. So we've got a yeah, 10-inch EP. I was going to try and show you the sleeve, but... I can't tell that you can see that. <laughs> Everything with you is upside down. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just my, just my life. It's how I live my life. <laughs> so what year is that session from? That is from 1987, spring of 87. Oh, so great. it's just, uh, yeah, it's just before we recorded the Riding on the Shag Pile. Um, so there's a couple of songs from that album and the only cover. We never, we didn't record covers. We didn't release them ourselves because you have to, pay the writers yeah. so we were a bit stingy like that so when we did the bbc session we took advantage of that and decided to record uh, a cover version we did live quite a lot of the time which was our version of both sides now so that's going to be the lead lead track on this yeah well one of my favorite songs ever it was until you went to your hours virtually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that might ruin it for you it'll never be the same again <laughs> promise you oh i'm excited about that bob mark it has been an absolute thrill to have you with us today. Ever since uh, one of those mixtapes had some songs from Deep Six, I got the Deep Six record. I went back into your catalog. The first album is absolutely adore that record. So uh, Thanks, this guys. has been truly, truly a pleasure and honor. That's been very kind. It's been it's been great fun. It's great. It's great to hear you because yeah. Deep Deep Six is a, an overlooked album. Let's say it's flawed, but it doesn't yeah there's some great songs in there so i'm really pleased yeah glad you uh kind of uh yeah joined people to its attention there certainly yeah Fine. thanks guys it's been great it's been this has been so much fun yeah, yeah thank you so yeah. much for putting up with me and uh greg <laughs> <laughs> you guys are all like from the same pea pod all three of you guys in musically so i think that's great <laughs> yes and the other thing just to say is the great band conspicuous by their absence on this show because miraculously they managed to go through the whole of 1985 without releasing a damn thing and that's the go-betweens thank you because uh, yes. yeah well, well said bob that they, they would have been 
If Bo- if you had to name one band that Bob and I would agree on wholeheartedly, it would be the Go-Betweens. But yeah, unfortunately, absent without, um, I don't know, just absent in 1985, unfortunately. So, yeah. But yes, absolutely. We share that deep love for the Go-Betweens. This has uh, been quite a marathon of an episode. I think we've had a lot of fun reminiscing about 1985. And on that note, we will wave hello and say goodbye. The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. to achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.